0: to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co.
1: Please remain standing. Take your Bible. Turn with me as we give honor to the Word of God. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to read together, beginning in verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 9 I'll be reading from the New American Standard so if it's a little different from your translation you'll understand why if you have a New American Standard and it's a little different it's either because i can't read or it's an older version verse 9 make every effort to come to me soon for Demas having loved the present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica Crenus has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with me, for he's useful to me for service. But Tychius I've sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak, which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against Him yourself for he vigorously opposed our teaching at my first defense no one supported me but all deserted me may it not be counted against them but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered from the lion's mouth the Lord delivered me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of gathering together as your people to worship you, to look into your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, will you speak to our hearts today? Will you speak to our minds? Will you transform our lives by the power of your word? Bless the word of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. Let them be acceptable to you, O Lord, my strength, my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm feeling like I'm in the darkness here. Let there be light, and moving back, there was light. Let me just say at the beginning, I, I, I appreciate with a new significance The words of the Apostle Paul when he wrote, he said, I am with you in weakness because I feel some of that. I'm feeling my age after having officiated three high school sectional baseball games yesterday. Fortunately, they did not have to call 911 on my behalf, Uh, but I'm feeling a bit weak this morning those of you who are regular attenders here know that at the end of the month we typically will do a sermon that we call follow me and it, uh, it has to do with discipleship and this month the discipleship aspect has to do with asking for help and as I was preparing, preparing for this in somewhat of a panic going to Matt saying okay what did you have in mind with this because I'm thinking Lord Jesus where are we gonna go with this and as we talked got some direction of what was in his heart one of the things that came back to me being of the older generation living in this community Those of us who came from an Amish Mennonite background, we understand, you know, that we took literally that scripture that said, oh, no man, nothing. We didn't want to be indebted to anybody for anything, for any reason. I can hear my dad on numerous occasions. If we had been someplace and somebody paid the bill, or if we'd been to somebody's home for a meal, I can hear mom and dad repeatedly saying, we'll get you back we'll get you back. In other words, you you hosted us, we have to host you because we don't want to be indebted. And yet I think it's interesting that we live in a time, a time like never quite before that I can remember, where people are expecting the church, they're expecting the government to come to their rescue, to be there for them in their time of need. And understand as a church we need to be here for one another. The problem is, one of the interesting things I've observed over the years, by the way I started to preach when I was 18, by God's grace I'll be 75 in July. Interesting things that I've observed is that many times the people who complain most about the church are the same people who arrive late on Sunday morning for service and leave early and say nobody talks to me in that church well there's a reason you walk in when things start and you walk out before it's over duh it's not rocket science Things have changed in our culture too. I remember the days when somebody would be in the hospital and the hospital would call me and say, Hey, there's somebody in our church, in our hospital that has listed your name, church name, as their home church. We wanted to let you know they're here. Laws have changed. And unless when you're being admitted to the hospital, you tell them to notify us, we don't know. And then people say, I was in the hospital and nobody visited me. Well, I'm not Jesus and I'm not the Holy Spirit. So I don't know all things, most things, but not all things. (laughs) But you know what I've discovered, both growing up and where we are now, it is so difficult for us to ask for help because pride gets in the way we simply don't want to admit that we need help and one of the realities that I have come to face is that in getting older I can't do what I used to do and one of the hardest things in the world is to say I need help because as men let's face it We pride ourselves on self-sufficiency. I can do this. I got this. But you know what? I physically can't do the things that I used to do. And that's tough to deal with. In this whole aspect of asking for help and needing help and wanting help, it's like almost two sides of the same coin on the one hand as believers we need to be sensitive to one another and I will freely admit that it is so easy for me to be so focused on my agenda you know especially for a Sunday morning because I'm up early I'm going over my sermon notes I I'm praying God uh, just lead me in this don't let me forget things that I'm not supposed to forget, you know, all of those things. And then somebody talks to me in the hallway, and it's right over my head. Or someone is, is going through a difficult time, and I don't recognize it. So on the one hand, I, I need to continually be praying. And you figured out already that when I say, I need to be praying, so do you. Holy Spirit make me more sensitive to my brothers and sisters and what's going on with them and less focused on me the other side of that coin is that by God's grace I need to learn how to open up how to reach out how to ask for help how to ask for prayer I love the memory verse, kids the memory verse that Pastor Matt picked out for today from 1 Thessalonians. He said, I urge you brothers admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. I needed the last part of that verse again. How many of you have heard never pray for patience? (laughs) Because when you do, you know what happens. You get an opportunity to exercise it. But I need to walk in patience and love with everyone. I loved so much the songs that we sang this morning and and it it was good to sing a, a golden oldie like Are You Washed in the Blood. I don't know a lot of the history of that song. But I thought about the fact, you could see on the bottom of the screen, it was published in 1878. Just a few short years after this nation had been so divided by a bloody civil war. And I thought about that as we sang, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb. I thought of that great psalm of David that we sang following that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, because thou art with me. The presence of God makes all the difference in the world. As I prayed, I felt led to go to this passage in 2nd Timothy chapter 4. It was one of the clearest examples that I could think of where someone was asking for help. Paul at the end of his life asked for help and what he's asking for and, and we are way ahead in the slides I happen to notice that because I did the slides. He's looking for something that relates to the emotional and the social. As we look in this passage, there's the physical needs. There's the spiritual needs. I thought also of 1 Corinthians 10:13, where Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says, there's no temptation overtaking you except that which is common to man. Turn to the person next to you and say, we're all going through stuff. It's common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape. And you realize that most of the time, that's where we end the verse, on the escape hatch, the escape clause. But the verse ends up by saying that you may be able to, to endure it. I'm convinced that the difference between us and the world is not that we don't go through problems. The difference between us and the world is that we know that we have a source of strength and victory that enables us to endure and walk through in faith and confidence. That's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and we don't turn to a bottle of booze or a bottle of pills to find escape from our problems we look to the Lord Jesus who is our source now in a bit of jest I had you turn to one another and say we're all going through stuff I did that for a reason because I'm convinced that one of the primary tactics of the enemy is to keep us separated I'm amazed at the number of people who have gone through physical problems, are going through physical problems, and they don't want to tell anybody. And I, I say to people, can I tell this? Can I share this with the church? And they say, no, no. And I'm thinking, if I'm going through something physical, I want everybody and their brother praying for me. Now, I, I do think about Psalm sixty-six, eighteen, 18, which says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. So I want godly people who are walking with God, who know how to pray, to pray for me because God's going to hear them. Because scripture says if two or three agrees together as touching anything, it's going to be done. But the enemy tries to convince us that our problems are unique. And he tries us to fall into fear and to pride because if I share the struggle that I'm going through, what are people going to think of me? Oh, I walk into church and everybody looks at me and everybody knows. Listen, if I got stuff going on, I want people to know. I want them to pray. Because you see, if the enemy keeps us separated from one another, we don't pray for each other. And if we don't pray for each other, we don't see God's victory coming in our lives in the way that we should. So the enemy works overtime to separate us by pride, by separate us by fear, to keep us from coming together in a spirit of agreement, in prayer, in physical acts of love and caring, so that we can walk in the victory of the Lord for the glory of God That would have been a great time for somebody to say amen, but you missed it. That's all right. I still love you. Now let's put the context of this passage into focus because it is a powerful thing here. Paul has come face to face with his imminent death. And in many respects, chapter uh, 4 is like. Paul's dying words to his spiritual son, Timothy. And as a general rule, we put great weight, great significance on people's final words. Look back up in verse 6. We didn't read this, but look at verse 6. Paul says to Timothy, he knows he's about to die. He said, I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. It's here. I fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me this crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. What faith. What confidence. And not only to me, but also to those who love his appearing. He's ready. And so as we look into the passage of Scripture that we read together, we need to look at it and understand it in the context of Paul's final words. What's important to him as he nears the end of life? People are important. And there is a sense of urgency. Look at verse 9. I kind of got ahead of myself because... I kind of got excited about this passage of Scripture. He said, make every effort to come to me soon. I looked up that word. It's the same word that's used in chapter 2, verse 15, where Paul tells Timothy to study to show himself approved. Be diligent. Give it your best effort. Do everything you can to make this happen. But there are disappointments that come in life because people let us down. Look in verse 10. Demas. Demas the great disappointment. I can tell you in in leadership one of the things that we have learned one of the things that I have passed on to young pastors is the sad reality is many times the people who are the first to support you will be the first to desert you and you still love them. Demas. It's interesting. He's mentioned in Colossians chapter 4 verse 14 and also in Philemon, which only has one chapter, verse 24. The word that Paul uses here is he has deserted me. The King James, if you have that, says forsaken. It literally meant in the Greek he let me down. I was depending on him. Now, something I want to point out here that is incredibly significant is that Demas is not charged with apostasy or heresy. Rather, it's his unwillingness to face physical hardship and suffering and possible death by continuing to associate with Paul. Put that in contrast of what he says here about him having loved the present world to what Paul says about people in verse 8, that crown of righteousness. It's for all those who love his appearing. Interesting contrast there, which we don't have time to develop. He says in verse 11, only Luke is with me. Now, Paul's not having a pity party. He's not looking for sympathy. He's simply stating a fact. That is, is Luke, the beloved physician, who is the one there to encourage this great apostle in those lonely hours when discouragement and despair would come in and take over and invade Paul's heart and mind. I'm telling you what, when you're going through stuff you need people people who understand and people who care there's been many things that I've learned as a police chaplain and and what an adventure beginning in 2005 I've learned the need to reach out to people I will tell you Friday morning when I'm called in the shower a little after seven and I have to go and be with a family that's grieving the loss of a sister and then having the police other police come and say hey we may need you because there's a death of a seventeen-year-old when it was over, I needed somebody to talk to, somebody who understood. Other chaplains do that. They understand. See, as we're going through stuff, we need other brothers and sisters of like precious faith who understand the struggles of life, who are not going to judge us, but are going to listen and who are going to pray and who are going to be there as an encouragement. Paul needed that. and The only one he had at that point is Luke. And then he makes this glorious statement in verse 11. When you come, I love this, pick up Mark and bring him with you. For he's useful, King James says, I think, valuable for service. It's an amazing statement. Think about who Mark was. We meet him in Acts 13, John Mark, the nephew of Barnabas, who deserts them for whatever reason, we're not told. But in Acts 13, 13, he leaves that first missionary journey and goes home we see him surface again in Acts chapter 15 verses 36 through 40 where Paul and Barnabas are planning a second missionary journey and Barnabas wants to bring John Mark and Paul says no he deserted us once it's not going to happen again you know the rest of the story I'm embellishing a little bit here but the Bible does say that a great disagreement arose between them and they split. Now God was in that. Praise God for Barnabas whose name is a nickname meaning son of encouragement. Its real name was Joseph. We know that from Acts chapter 4. But he salvages the ministry of John Mark. How beautiful now Paul at the end of his life recognizes that God has done a work in John Mark and he's still useful for service. Oh, pastors, leaders, let me encourage us. Just because someone fails, don't write them off. God is still at work and can still do a work of redemption and restoration where they can again be valuable for service. What an amazing thing Paul says. He's valuable to me. Some think that Titius, whom Paul sent to Ephesus, uh, he says in verse 12, John Mark would fill that role. I read too, I thought this was interesting, that some think John Mark may have been fluent in Latin, which would have made him invaluable in Rome, where they spoke Latin. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But the important thing is that Paul sees that God has done something in John Mark, a work of restoration, a work of maturity, and brought him to a place of usefulness in the kingdom of God. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give up on you and me the first time, or the second time, or the third time we blow it? Turn to the person next to you and say, he's talking about me now. God is gracious. I love this. People need affirmation. They need encouragement. They need someone who will just come with an arm around them. I confess to you that as someone who leads an incredibly busy life, it is far too easy for me to miss that. And I say, oh God, give grace. The other side of that, let me just give a shout out. George Bachman has no idea what a blessing he has been to me. I got a text message from him the other day. It said, I heard you had a rough day. Just want you to know I'm thinking of you and praying for you. I'm saying, God, give me greater sensitivity like that. The other side of that is I I am learning to open up more. Because believe it or not, I hide behind my outgoing personality. And I'm a very private person. You'd never guess it. As one who grew up with such insecurity and inferiority, I used humor to mask it, activity as a source of strength. And the older I get, the more I realize how much I need people and how much I need to open up. That's hard for people like me. Because we find self-worth in our personal strength. Isn't it interesting, man, how how we find self-worth in our busyness? Oh, I'm so busy. Yeah, you are. (laughs) Yeah, I am. Glory to God. But then I've always believed also that it's, easy, it's better to wear out than sit around and rust out. We need people. I need to be, have greater sensitivity, but I need to open up more to share my heart with where I'm really walking. And I need people that I know understand who are not judgmental, who are just going to love me, and sometimes love me enough to say, Harold, suck it up. we need people there's more we could say look at verse 13 we have physical needs I thought it was interesting what Paul asks for here and I shared this because I think it's important for us as believers to understand people who are needing help are going to need help in these different areas one of them is Physical, creature comforts. Verse 13, bring the cloak. Bring that heavy winter coat that I left at Troas. I'm thinking, why would you leave it there? But he did. And we could go into the kind of cloak it was. The the word describes some interesting things. But you can well imagine, even though we know that Paul in Rome was in rented quarters, no doubt it was not the best there were times that he was in a dungeon would have had to been dark and damp and uncomfortable the seasons were changing we didn't read verse 21 but but Paul reinforces his request in verse 9 to make every effort to come to me soon and in verse 21 he says come before winter it's cold you see Having your physical needs met is important. It's a priority. And isn't it interesting, at the end of life, what do we want to do for people when there's nothing more that we can do for them medically? We want to keep them as comfortable as possible. I can tell you that the older you get one of two things happens. You're either always hot or you can never just quite get the chill off and you're just wanting to be cold. I will tell you when it comes to our king-size bed, there's one of us that only wants as much of a blanket as is absolutely necessary there is another one of us that says let's put on another blanket and I won't tell you which is which (laughs) I say all of this in a bit of humor to illustrate the point and to bring it home there's physical needs but in verse 13, I think this is, this is paramount of what we need, because Paul wants the coat. He's cold. It's damp. Winter is coming. But he, this is not an afterthought. He said, bring the books, especially the parchments. Now the scripture doesn't tell us a great deal about what those things were but I I love this request I love it because number one he has communicated to Timothy death is at the door I'm gonna be martyred it's not a question of if but when and it could be today it could be tomorrow death is at the door Oh, but bring me the books especially the parchments and those parchments would have been animal skins that would have been well uh, preserved and would have survived better than the paper and papyrus that they would have had in those days. But here's what's challenging to me that I think is glorious. Paul is going to grow to the end. He's not going to sit down and just die. He wants to grow. He wants to stimulate his mind. He wants his mind sharp and he wants his heart full of the things of God. Many believe that these books, especially the parchments, would have been Paul's personal copies of the Old Testament. We don't know for sure, but what we do know is that they were precious to him. And here's the point in all of this. We need to be continually growing. We need to be continually stimulating our minds and our spirits every day. Tomorrow, by God's grace, I will work my final three games as a high school umpire. Game two, I will be behind the plate, and I'm going to be working on something tomorrow. I'm going to be working at tracking every pitch with my eyes from the point that ball is released until it gets into that catcher's glove, I'm going to track that ball with my eyes and not move my head at all, which is a challenge when you have trifocals. (laughs) Now I'm making fun of myself to illustrate this point, even though I know tomorrow, after 32 years, I'm retiring as a regular high school umpire, I'm working on something. Told you by God's grace I will be 75 in July. I don't know how many more years God has given me, but I have determined I'm going to live till I die and I am going to work and focus on growing in some area, in some aspect of my life spiritually. My wife encouraged me the other day in a way that she has no idea. But we were talking about something and she said, I hope that you are always as passionate about ministry as you are about history. I want to work at being passionate about the Word of God. I want to finish strong. I see that in Paul here. He knows that at any moment, any time, death is is there for him, but he's gonna grow. He's gonna be full of the Word of God. He is gonna fill his heart and his mind with the Word of God. Church, are you and I doing that? I often think about the way the late Dr. Lester Sumrall would close his broadcasts. Whether you agreed with his theology or not, at every juncture. One of the things that I remember him closing his broadcast the same way and I was fortunate enough, I I was on his television program a couple of times and and he would say, feed your faith and starve your doubts to death just let them die. So I would say to us What are you doing? How are you consciously working at something? Understanding that we have no guarantees in life. We aren't guaranteed the last breath we took, the one we're taking now, or the one we're hoping to take. And knowing that, what are you doing to feed your spirit? You see, if you're not daily feeding your faith and building up your relationship with God, then you are are growing weaker. You just don't know it. Let's bring this together. Now you know what happens when the preacher says in conclusion I love closing a service so much we could probably do it two or three times so you know you got about 10 more minutes here. It almost seems like an abrupt change Because Paul has just said, bring the books, especially the parchments. And then, I don't know if it's an afterthought or what it is, but he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him. Now, in my fallen nature, looks at that, reads that, says, God's going to get him for that. But I would suggest to us, number one, Timothy would have understood perfectly who this Alexander was and I don't think that Paul's just saying God's gonna get him for that I think Paul was reminding himself that it's God's place to settle the score at the end of the day to repay evil for evil and it's not ours If you look at Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21, Paul writes there and he says, Beloved, never take revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him if he's thirsty, give him to drink. For in so doing you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. There's references here to Deuteronomy 32, uh, 35, and to Psalm 94 and verse 1. Paul says, there are enemies out there. There are people who are going to be working to get you. Just understand, it's God's place to take the revenge. Do you realize, when you think about what Paul wrote to the Ephesians, where he talks about put on the whole armor of God, in the one hand, you have the shield of faith. In the other hand, you have what? The sword of what? Sword of the Spirit, which is, the Bible says, the Word of God. You got it right. May I say to us, you cannot hold the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the sword of revenge at the same time. It's not possible. Something else we also need to think about. Do I want to vindicate myself or do I want God to vindicate me? Who's going to do a better job? God every time. My job is to walk in the grace and the love of the Lord. Again, I could tell you stories as I've seen that borne out, even in this community, as God vindicates. Love, verse 17. because Paul says in verse 16, nobody stood with me. I stood alone. Oh, but look at what he says in verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me. What a powerful statement that we take too lightly to know that God is the one who will strengthen us, not always in body, but always in spirit and he stands with me. I discovered that the Greek word that is used there is a very technical word that refers to what we would call today a defense attorney or a legal advocate. When Paul says, the Lord stood with me, he's saying, the Lord was my defense attorney. What a powerful declaration and he strengthens me. Oh, church, God always will. Which leads Paul then to this amazing declaration as he faces a certain future now in our natural human way of looking at things we would say Paul had an uncertain future no he had a very certain future and he knew what it was and that he was going to be martyred and in the midst of that because of God having stood with him God's faithfulness over the years in ministry as Paul was literally hounded around the world by religious people Paul says, the Lord stood with me, and he will stand with me. He will deliver me, verse 18. I love this. New American Standard says, he will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Woo, that's security. That's why he has hope. That's why he is at peace. That's why he is at rest. That's why we can say, face an uncertain future with confidence and faith because we know that we are held so securely in the loving hands of our Father God who is the creator God of the universe. That's our father. That was Paul's father. And he could face that very certain Future that he understood would be martyrdom and he could do it with confidence and say, the Lord will rescue me from every deed and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Worship team, come and join me. we have to settle the issue if we're looking to people we will be disappointed but we look to God I made a note to myself on my notes this morning as I was going over it earlier and I wrote this down for me God is our source but he uses people as his delivery system if I'm looking to man I will be disappointed and discouraged and eventually become resentful and bitter but if I look to God then as he uses people to meet my needs I'm rejoicing and my heart is encouraged and my faith is strengthened. I'm convinced that we need each other like never before, especially in the light of coming events. Seniors, we congratulate you. Well done. Graduating from high school, college seniors, well done. We congratulate you you're moving into a more uncertain future than any generation i have known in my lifetime the good news is the bible says that where sin abounds grace does much more abound god's grace will be sufficient from a practical standpoint not to be a prophet of doom but if you're paying attention you see Not only are we economically headed into a recession, but we could easily slip into a depression that none of us here today have ever really lived through. I was born in 1947. What my parents, what my grandparents went through in the 30s, we don't even begin to comprehend and they don't teach it in school, but that's another thing we need each other, we need to be sensitive to the spoken and the unspoken needs of our brothers and sisters. And then we need to do something about it. We I need to learn how to ask for help without feeling like I'm a burden to people. It's one of the hardest things for us families, individuals, as you get together, some things to talk about and pray. Talk about why are people so reluctant to open up and to share their needs with other people in the church? Talk about who are people in the church that need help, whether they're battling loneliness or feeling something Uh, having something that needs to be done around the house or the yard? Who are the people who are really needing a financial blessing? And then pray. Ask God to open your eyes to the needs of the people around you in the church, the people around you in your neighborhood. Ask him how you can be a blessing, how you can be a part of his delivery system that meets those needs. Stand together and pray with me. Lord you've called us to follow Jesus. Following Jesus means being disciples. It means giving help and also asking for help. And Lord we struggle in those areas. I pray, God, that by your grace, you will enable us. You'll open our eyes to see what's going on around us. Lord, you are our source. Thank you for using people. Lord, as we thank people for what they do, may we give you glory as the one who is the author and the provider. So God, do a work in us that we may represent you well before a watching world. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.